to any founder, the iteration process is invaluable, right? If you are stagnant, you know, you, you die, right? At the end of the day, you have to adapt and the environment around you is always going to change. So if you're not iterating, you're not doing what you can to survive in the new ecosystem and the new environment for sure. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my chat with Mork Struthers from Game Blazers, which is empowering sports fans to create and manage their own experiences. Work explains the unique concept of Game Blazers as a hybrid between a traditional game and fantasy sports, the importance of operating with a long-term time horizon, and the pros and cons of raising seed capital from an angel investor versus an institutional investor. Work was another excellent guest, and I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. But a quick word before we get going, the much-anticipated Next Summit New York event returns March 6th and 7th, 2024 in a new state-of-the-art venue in Manhattan's Financial District. With over 1,000 senior delegates expected, the summit is focused on connecting startups with investors and operators with suppliers, which makes it the conference where serious business gets done. Tickets are now available, and I would encourage you to grab yours sooner than later as a conference sold out each of the last two years. Grab yours now by visiting www.next.io, and I'll see you there. All right, we are back here with episode 88 of the Betting Startups podcast, and uh, it's been about a week now since I've gotten home from G2E. My voice is rested up mercifully, and about a week ago, I was sitting on the couch in the, the Venetian Sportsbook, which I guess is now actually technically the Yahoo Sportsbook at the Venetian. I will still call it the Venetian Sportsbook. But I was sitting with my guest today, who is Rourke from Game Blazers. And Rourke, it was good to catch up with you in Vegas last week. Obviously, we're here to talk about Game Blazers. But before we get into all the details of what you're up to, let's just have a quick G2E retrospective together here. I know it was your first one. So how was the show for you? What was your experience like? And, you know, I guess for other people that might consider going next year for the first time, like what are some things you could share with them to make the most of their time at G2E? Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate it, Jesse. And thank you for having me. Yeah, G2E is kind of overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. Kind of just be straightforward with you there. But it was a great experience having so many different people and so many different companies from the gaming space all in one place at the same time was was phenomenal. And having every industry, every vertical, every business unit represented in one way, shape or form was also great. You get to a lot of people at the same time. What I would say for people that are, are considering going, um, make sure you have some meetings planned, right? Be sure to reach out to a lot of people prior. Um, I find out about G2E a little bit later than I would have liked to this year, but it was a fantastic experience. I got an opportunity to meet with a number of really good people, hopefully some good leads to make some really interesting partnerships. Obviously, we had a really good conversation, so G2E was great. I would definitely say to everybody, make sure you, you do your due diligence beforehand. But yeah, I had a really good time. I hope you did as well, Jesse. Yeah, I did. Uh, our friend of the podcast, Benji Cherniak, put it well to me in a, in a message I received from him the other day. He said his week at G2E was both a marathon and a sprint. I can really only agree with that. It feels like both, right? I was there for almost a week myself and it was like completely packed. The days were packed. The nights were packed. Not enough sleep, probably eating poorly, all of that stuff and paid for it when I got home. But it was the most productive week of the year, right? And I think really that's why a lot of people go to these things is to really sort of set the trajectory for themselves uh, and their businesses for like the months ahead and obviously going into the new year, hopefully having a lot of like good conversations that will really lay the groundwork for the months to come. So for me, super productive, exhausting, but also just an amazing week and already looking forward to next year, albeit after a little bit more rest uh, between. <laughs> yeah, I can totally agree with you there. I mean, everyone can go with a little bit more rest. I, I come from the East Coast out there. So the jet lag gets me for the first like three days, you know what I mean? You're, you're up there super late. And finally, when I get used to it, now I'm coming back over here to the East Coast. <laughs> so 
Um, I, I totally understand there, Jesse. I could use a, probably a little bit more sleep myself. Luckily in Vegas, there's really no concept of day or night there if you're in <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's um, for sure. That's for sure. Right on, Rourke. Well, uh, no, it was great to see you there last week. And as I said, excited to talk Game Blazers here today. I mean, you and I met actually last May in New Jersey at SBC and Game Blazers sort of hit my radar around that time. And I got a sense of what you were up to then. It's evolved a little bit since then. So really excited to dive into it. There's a lot of layers to Game Blazers. So we'll, we'll yes. deconstruct it as best we can. Before we get there, though, Rourke, can you give us a quick intro? Maybe tell folks listening a little bit about yourself and maybe some of the major chapters along the way for you before starting Game Blazers. Yeah, for sure. So um, I grew up on the East Coast. I'm, I'm born and raised in New York. I went to high school there. I also ended up going to Penn State. I was double major finance econ there. I played rugby, had a great time. And then after that, I worked in private equity and risk management for about two years and ended up going and doing a data science boot camp for about an entire year and then working in consulting for two years. And while I was working in consulting, I started a, a product with a few founders including my brother and his best friend. And that was really what led to the creation of Game Blazers today. The prior product we had built was called the NFT League. And it was very similar product as what we are doing today, but there was some significant differences. But I had always wanted to do entrepreneurship. I think entrepreneurship is one of those things where you really get to write your own book in a way. And having my brother and his best friend be the developers and two of the co-founders was perfect uh, in terms of how we were able to handle responsibilities and roles and that was really what enabled us to take this stuff forward. And in terms of how things got started, I mean, who doesn't love sports, right? Like I love sports. I played rugby in college. I've always been a big fantasy player for my entire life. So when I was approached with the opportunity to get involved with a, a product that was fantasy based that had technology involved, was more in the DFS space, you know, kind of jumped at the opportunity. So that's a little bit more about the background context. Awesome. Let's dive in a little bit to the origins of Game Blazers, which was, as you say, the NFT league originally. What did it look like for you guys at the very beginning there when you sort of said, hey, like, let's do this, let's give this a try and kind of see where this all goes. And I have to assume as well, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but just given the fact it was called NFT league, I can probably surmise that it was around the time of, of the NFT froth and all of that in the web yeah. space. So talk a little bit about, I guess, just kind of the, the origins and actually like getting started going from zero to one. Totally. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously the NFT movement was huge back in 2021. So that was a, a great experience when the opportunity arose. I think NFTs and just the blockchain technology really led and lended itself to taking it and, and using it in different and in innovative ways aside from the typical crypto aspect that blockchain was typically associated with. I think NFTs gave it a new kind of flavor and taste to it. And I think the technology in a way gets a little bit of an afterthought with a lot of the other things that are going on with NFTs and with crypto. But I think the technology is, is super impactful. And so that was, I think, the impetus for starting a product like this. Obviously, fantasy has a lot of interesting elements and video games have a lot of interesting elements that blockchain and NFTs lended itself to. So that was kind of the start of everything. So we had built that product, like I said, in 2021. We had a, a great first year. Everything went really well. We even gave away a board ape for that grand prize at the end of the year. It was fantastic. We had a great season and then we had a good season last year as well. But there were some certain issues that I think we had with the platform and how it functioned and some of just the features and mechanics that we wanted to include. And so that led us to actually getting rid of blockchain and NFTs from the concept. So currently today, there is no NFTs or any sort of blockchain component to the underlying product or the mechanism. It's all Web2 based. Obviously, we did that for a couple of reasons. One was legal and regulatory. The ambiguity there was difficult to deal with. So we wanted to just stay away from it entirely. And because we had already come from that, we knew that was somewhere we could go in the future if 
the opportunity presented itself, but it's not something we see right now as an opportunity. And we wanted to build more flexibility into the product. And so what we've kind of developed today is we've taken some of these really interesting video game concepts that have become proven over the years. Take, for example, the battle pass that you see in Fortnite or some of those games, we've integrated that into the platform. We've integrated certain app openings that you'll see in certain trading card areas, but that are exclusive to how we function as a platform. Um, we've integrated that into the platform. So there's so many different things that we utilize from video games that we grew up with and tried to build on top of the fantasy concept that I just don't think has been innovated on. So that's a long-winded answer of, of how we got here, but I think it gives you a good sense for all of the different components that kind of played into to what became Game Blazers today. Yeah, it's interesting. You're not hearing a lot of people that started in the Web3 path and reverted back to Web3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, you know, to your point about contrary, you're always looking to pivot, right? You have to be able to take the opportunity as it comes. And I think that's a, an important feature of any you know, sustainable business is being able to pivot. And so I think having that was really useful for us and for our mechanics, right? Like it is actually able to open things up more for us. I think that's something more businesses should consider is how can you pivot more effectively to other ideas. Yeah, 100%. And you sort of alluded, I guess, uh, to, to some of the components of Game Blazers and some of those mechanics. But let's just maybe start at the beginning here, high concept and stitch it all together for folks listening that aren't familiar. Can you just give a high concept pitch as to what it is, what you guys have, and, and what the overall value prop is? Totally. So if I was to try and put Game Blazers very succinctly, what we do is we allow you to open packs, we allow you to build your roster, and we allow you to compete to win prizes and rewards. Very simply, that's what we allow you to do. All of our gaming, all of our roster building is built around fantasy and the fantasy concept. All of the competitions are fantasy based. So as you accumulate fantasy points through your lineup setting, that will allow you to earn points, which will place you in contests, which allow you to win prizes and rewards. So at a very high level, very simple level, that's what we allow you to do. I think one of the things that and I know one of the things that make us different is the other aspects to the platform that gamify it further, right? So like I mentioned, the pack opening process, it's more than just what you think of in your head as like opening a pack of items and then just picking them out and playing them around. There's more to that. We actually brought on uh, FIFA Ultimate Team game designers, former Ultimate Team game designers to help with that process, to make sure that it was very engaging and that uh, the items are tactile, they flip over, their sound accompanies it. So it is really an experience, not just types of items into the platform. So you have items that are retained in perpetuity forever, or you have items that expire after a year from their open date. So there's a lot of different things that you have to think about when you're building your roster. We even have different modifiers on the platform that give you the opportunity to upgrade your items to different levels, right? We have multipliers that allow you to, or that multiply the fantasy score of a player by that multiplier so that you have an aggregated score. So if a player had a 10 fantasy point score and they had a 1.5 multiplier, they would have 15 fantasy points. These things require you to think a lot more about what you're doing in lineup setting and how you're thinking about the product. I know that when people play in a lot of the existing kind of game types, there's somewhat group knowledge of here's the best players, here's how we should set this lineup or that lineup, or here's the most optimal way to play this game. Um, but because you're setting your lineups based on items that you have in your roster, there's a lot more diversity um, and variation when it comes to how you play the game. Um, and those are just some aspects of it, right? I don't want to speak too much about it. We can dive into it a little bit more, but those are just some ways that we uh, differentiate ourselves. 
Yeah, that's really cool, Rourke. And it certainly, I think, makes Gameblade rather unique when compared to a lot of the other pure play DFS or fantasy platforms on the market today, which leads me to this question, which is like, I guess as you think about it and as you look at what you're bringing to market with Game Blazers and, and looking at the competition out there, sort of how are you positioning it? Like, how do you ultimately position this product? Is it a game? Is it fantasy? Is it some sort of hybrid in the middle? Or is it something else? Like, just what's your mental model on, on the positioning map and, and where Game Blazers fits into it? I, I love that question. Thank you so much for that, Josie. Um, and I think the mental model of, of thinking of it is a perfect way of putting it. I would definitely say we are more of a hybrid model than anything else. You can't separate the fantasy aspect of this platform from the gaming aspect of this platform. Inherently, they're built together. But I think that is part of what makes this platform so unique, right? When you look at what we're doing from a player progression path, right? We have a, a progression path that you can move through and earn your way to other rewards. Um, that's super unique when you look at how the, the platform functions, very game-like. That is extremely different from what currently exists in the marketplace, right? There's not many other products that allow you to actually retain and move through the platform, earn other rewards and items, and then use that in your play style. At least from a fantasy style, side, I, I don't know of many products that allow you to do that currently. So that I think gives us a lot of different kind of variation among um, a lot of different peers. So back to your point of like the hybrid or fantasy or it's not one or the other. I think that is that hybrid kind of style, that melding of the two worlds, the best of two worlds is what kind of brings and what makes Game Blazer so unique as a product. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the gaming side of it can kind of take over over time because I think games have a lot more tangible addressable total addressable market i think there's a lot more money that can be earned from that and our product is available for ages 13 plus there's a whole free-to-play version it's all like i said game liked and enabled there's credits that are related to the platform that can be redeemed for other items and other packs so there is a whole gaming aspect to this that has so much potential that i think a lot of other competitive products don't have so not only i think are we counter positioned but i think that we've also have a different a little bit of process power and how we go about the design of the company. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Rourke. And I guess just touching upon the, the the point you just made about the 13 plus age range that the game is accessible to, can you just talk a little bit about, I guess, from the regulatory perspective, how the game is classified? And I guess maybe what are some of the aspects of the way you've designed the game such that you are able to offer it to the 13 plus age group? Yeah, so for us, everything comes back to how we have designed this thing from the ground up. When you come into the platform, you're not able to participate in any sort of paid contest type. Um, you can't do anything related to that unless you verify, unless you KYC. That's the first thing. We also have geofencing on the site. We're making sure that we're aware of any sort of VPNs that are being used to try and circumvent the site. So we're trying to be very, very uh, specific about the hurdles that we put in place for people to ensure that they can participate in paid contest types. But that's only a small aspect of the product. Ultimately, I think a larger part of the product is how do people come play this game socially and how can we offer this to everyone? There's millions of people that play fantasy, but I think a lot of the money has been funneled into the gaming and the gambling side without having as much kind of concentration on the game of fantasy. So having a free to play league offering that allows you to have credits that are built into the platform that are available for on platform rewards and redemption mechanisms is going to be really useful. It looks like any other video game that you guys are, or anyone would be familiar with. I think that lends itself to a new play style for fantasy, right? I think that's really important. And having younger kids, I know that when I started playing fantasy, I was 15, 16 years old. I wasn't able to 
to bed or gamble at that point, but I would have liked to have played a different kind of fantasy, right? Or had a different kind of version that was offered to me. And so that's what we've kind of created here. We didn't want to silo it in one place or another. I think that kind of ties back into your question about, is it a game? Is it fantasy? Like it really is both, right? You can't extract the progression from the actual platform. So I hope that answers the question in a somewhat reasonable way. I know it was a little bit roundabout of an answer. No, we, we got there. We're all good. And it does answer it. So thank you. On the business model side, how are you monetizing? What's the business model? And ultimately, what does that look like in the absence of paid entries in the traditional uh, fantasy format? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. For me, I think that's part of what makes us so unique in having that design process in the, the, the business model from beforehand. So when you come to Game Blazers, everyone gets a, a free starter pack, right? We didn't want to put any sort of frictions in, in the way of preventing people from playing this platform. So I think that's one of the big things. And I think that builds rapport with your audience base, right? You're not trying to extract value before you're giving value to people. And I think that's part of the, what will be a big draw to the platform and a big attraction to the platform is we're willing to give you value through the progression path, through the items that we give you, through the starter packs. And, and I'm hoping that will translate to purchases of packs on the platform, right? You can purchase additional packs that will give you different player types, um, have different probabilities of giving you different players. Um, there's also other ways for us to monetize through the marketplace. We have a marketplace that allows you to buy and sell players back and forth as well to try and better your team that allows you to compete at a higher level. That is a, another way that we can monetize the product. We've also thought about monetizing the product through additional levels to the Game Blazers pass, right? Everybody is aware of what the paid battle pass versions, we could do different specialized versions of that. So there's a number of different ways that we can generate revenue and it doesn't have to necessarily be through paid contests, you know, fees and, and taking rig from there. Obviously that's one way that we can generate money, but really a lot of it comes down to the actual mechanism of the pack pr process and the the gaming aspect of this, right? People are going to want to open packs because it gives them different benefits that they can earn, like different wild cards, and that it gives them certain things and better players, obviously, as well to compete. But one of the things that we've also just introduced into the platform literally this week, week seven, is we're offering now free roll contests, essentially free entry fee contests. You don't have to pay anything in order to uh, enter. You can use your starter pack. You can use any of the items that you have and they'll be available in pretty much 40 or so states. The only states we won't be offering them in are Hawaii, Montana, Nevada, Washington, and Idaho, as well as Alabama and Georgia for now and Louisiana, Connecticut. So those eight states. But other than that, all other 42 states were going to have these free entry contests in. And I'm really looking forward to that. I think that will really bring a lot of people to the platform, give them an opportunity to participate again for free um, through the free starter pack and through any other means through the progression path. I think that will really, again, separate us out and just, again, build rapport to where people are willing to spend money on platform items and other things like that. Awesome. Super exciting. Uh, I wish I was in one of the 40-ish states. I tried to pre-roll this weekend. Sadly, I'm in Canada. Yeah, I'll, have so to, I don't know when... I'll have to get, I'll have to get work on Canada more expeditiously and I'll have to get you involved, Jesse, for sure. <laughs> right on. I guess the other thing I'm just curious about is what's some of the feedback, I guess, you received so far from the initial users that have tested out the platform? And I guess the second part to the question, Rourke, is can you talk about just where you're at in the journey so far? And I guess just from a traction perspective, like can you sort of quantify or measure um, where you're at in the progression of user adoption? Yeah, absolutely. For us, a lot of the feedback has come around the product design and how we have, you know, developed the UI and the UX. And I'm happy and proud to say that we're 
always uh, iterating on that design, right? Once you release a product, that's just the very beginning. <laughs> I think everybody has gotten and seen that. I'm not saying anything new with, with that. You have to constantly iterate what you're doing. And I think every bit of feedback we've tried to incorporate in a way that makes sense for everyone. And if we see that there's one thing that really needs to be designed or tweaked, we take pride in, in going and doing that pretty quickly. You know, I, I want to stay true to our competitive advantage, which is our development capability, our design capability, our strategic, you know, vision capability. And it's important that we you know, stay on top of those things. If it's not our competitive advantage and it should be, then we have, we have a problem, right? That's, I think, speaks a little bit to feedback. From a user side, we actually have about 3,000 users on the platform right now. We are seeing over 60% of people on the platform setting lineups and playing weekly, which is fantastic. I'm really happy about that. I think whenever you're going into releasing a new product, it takes some time to figure out exactly where your demographic lies and, and where your target audience sits. And I think with the release of these new free roll type of contests and these free entry contests that will, you know, I think appeal to a, a wide swath of people that maybe have heard of us before, or maybe haven't heard of us before, but now are will and will be interested in the product. And again, I think that the design has really helped us to retain users. You know, we haven't seen any drop off in terms of engagement or in terms of how people are interacting with the product since the beginning of the season. We've only seen user growth and we've only seen increased engagement and, and interaction on the platform with, and within our marketplace. You know, we've seen some pretty good sales. Um, by way of the, the different community members. And so I think that's just the beginning, right? I want to continue to build this and, and see how things are, are rolling. And I think that we'll have a lot of good creators and influencers and partnerships over the next few weeks and months that should really um, bring more people to the platform, right? I think at the end of the day, it's all about getting and meeting people where they're at. And so having more relationships and having uh, better strategic relationships with companies and creators and individuals will, I think, definitely accelerate that. And that's what we're looking forward to over the next few weeks. Awesome. Let's zoom out a little bit. I mean, given that you've basically built a game, I, I just want to quickly talk about that work because look, obviously a lot of my guests on here have products to bring to market and gamification as a term is like one of these things that gets one of these words that gets thrown around oh, a lot, yeah. right? And <laughs> quite often, you know, at least my observation is like, People bring products to market, then they have to figure out sort of quote unquote, a gamification strategy. And it feels like a bit of a bolt on at the end. Whereas with Game Blazers, I mean, you literally are designing a game from the ground up. Um, earlier this year, we had an episode that featured Yukai Chow, who is one of the godfathers of gamification and game mechanics. So we learned a lot about gamification from Yukai in that episode. But I'm curious if you can give us a bit of a look behind the curtain. Like when you and your team are sitting there in the boardroom with the blank whiteboard in front of you, and you're talking about designing a game from the ground up, obviously there's dozens of mechanics you can choose to borrow from. And You've incorporated some along the lines of, I don't know, you've got, what do you got here? Like XP, level, yeah, exactly. all of these Better different things. Yeah, all of these things. Right. Yeah. How, how do you go from like a whiteboard to basically having a fully fleshed out game? And you've talked about iterating and obviously that's a massive component to it. But like, what's it just look like at the beginning there? Just give us a bit of a look behind the curtain. Oh man, it's a lot of conversation, right? It's a lot of talk. I, I think a, a lot of people, whenever they see any product and, you know, for everyone who will see this however many years or, or weeks from now, they look back and be like, oh, well, kind of was like a flash in the pan, but it does take years. You know, it's taken us such a long time to actually think about and get a deep expertise and, and understanding of the space and, and what we can or cannot do. I would be lying if I said that it wasn't a lot of dead ends as well, right? Like there was a lot of things that we've thought about and tried to figure out a way to integrate and it was wasted time at the end of the day, but it gave us a lot of good knowledge about what might make sense in the future. It could help to better guide us along the way. And then it's also a lot of erasing and then rewriting on the whiteboard. 
you need to find a lot of the different flywheels and different loop that you can incorporate into product. Where are the good niches or areas or target audiences that you can apply different aspects to? How complicated is the product? You know, that was one thing that we really were concerned about going into this is it because it's such a wide product and such a deep product. How do you, you know, educate people on it? But I think that there's also a lot that you can learn from things that, you, you know, have come before, right? Just like you, we've taken some of these aspects and taken some of these features and functionalities. There's a lot to learn from what those games have done, right? If you look at something like Sleeper, it's taken a very long time for it to become this juggernaut, I think, in the space that we're now seeing, especially this year, where there's a huge uptick in, in people using it. And from people that I know are using it, people I would have never thought would have used it before are doing so. And I think that shows that there is a place for something that might be a little bit more complicated at the outset, but that over time through the process of iteration and the UI, UX and the education, you build a product that really is superior to um, some of the incumbents in the space. I think luckily for us, there's not as many people trying to do what we're trying to do. It's, it's a very difficult thing and there's a lot of legal hurdles to get over as well. That's another big component to this is what legally can we or can we not do and how does that fit with some of the features and functionalities so it's just a lot of conversation it's a lot of research it's a lot of also trusting the people that you're talking to like you mentioned how do you decide like what features you have to rely on some of the experience of other people right like i'm younger my younger brother and his best friend or you know co-founders they're big fifa guys right and so thinking about what is appealing to them about ultimate team and, and fifa just generally i think is a way for us to think about all right well how can we kind of apply some of the aspects that they like there to a product like ourselves? That's something that I think gives us versatility or range and being a startup, I think gives us the flexibility to do that. I think a lot of innovation just comes from taking concepts that already exist and are proven and that we know work and just applying them in areas that people haven't necessarily thought of before. So I hope that kind of gives us a lot of the different differentiation and thinking about what, what makes this product different and that will then lead us to new things, right? I think that's also part of the process is pulling on as many different threads as you can find and what is going to stick and what's going to work. You never know what's going to work or how does this aspect or functionality or behavior going to be affected by this change in the product. So I think it's just a lot of conversation, a lot of whiteboard sessions and sitting there rearranging things, a lot of bouncing things off of each other, and then a lot of like thread pulling and trying to find, you know, the dead ends and then using that expertise over time. There's no secret or anything like that. That's for sure. No silver bullet, is there? <laughs> no way. No way. You know, I, I have a whiteboard here that I'm constantly have. I'm constantly erasing and, and drawing on. So, and that's just one of many. I think like if you're trying to build a product, you always have to be thinking about it. my head's always like running on it and having people that I can bounce this stuff back and forth on that have that expertise and have that knowledge, I think is invaluable for sure. And even talking to guys like yourself, right? Like, Giving, getting and understanding that knowledge and, and, and listening to conversations that you have with people going and seeing what they've done. How can I apply their knowledge and expertise and what they found to a new product? I think that's another part of the research and the development that I think gets overlooked a lot of the time. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I think just hearing you talk about Aurora, one thing that strikes me is just like, you have a high time preference, right? You're really thinking about this long-term and like acknowledging at the early stage here that, you know, there's going to be a lot of iterations and tuning of the dials until you ultimately sort of hit upon the thing that it ends up becoming. And you actually referenced Nan Wang uh, from Sleeper as, as a case study here, which is interesting because actually 
Uh, last week at G2E, at the start of the week, there was a geo-compliant challenger series. And Nan Wang actually was on one of the panels talking about his journey with Sleeper. And basically, it's a nine-year overnight success story, right? That's exactly. <laughs> yep. No, and that's the perfect way that everybody sees it, right? Everybody's like, oh, well, where did this come from? This is overnight. But yeah, it's nine years in the making overnight. Um, and I think that to any founder, the iteration process is invaluable, right? If you are stagnant, you know, you, you die, right? At the end of the day, you have to adapt and the environment around you is always going to change. So if you're not iterating, you're not doing what you can to survive in the new ecosystem and the new environment, for sure. I think that's, that's definitely something we will always try and have as a DNA, as a company, you'll be iterating and changing through things. And if you're not thinking on long time horizons as well, I think that you might have a different perspective in terms of cutting corners and doing things like that. Like I said um, earlier, I, I brought on game designers from FIFA Ultimate Team, right? Like to me, that was super important because if you don't design the distributions and some of the other aspects of the platform, right, the game isn't good. And then you're not going to really want to play anything. So no marketing or anything that you do is going to change anything if the product isn't built correctly. Um, I mean, we don't even have a native app on iOS or Android yet. So we're really nascent in that sense. But you have to have these long time frames because it allows you to really see the perspective and what could you or should you prioritize in the short or long term? And how can we build this sustainably over time? I want to be here for a long time. So if I don't think long, I feel like I, I'm, I'm putting myself at a disadvantage. <laughs> And I guess to talk about long time horizons, right, uh, it is early in the journey for you, but just on the capital side of it all and the fundraising side of it all, obviously it takes resources to build out something that has the depth that Game Blazers does as a product. So just to quickly touch upon that, Roar, can you talk about how you've capitalized the project so far and what that, that journey's looked like to get to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. So I think Game Blazers is, has a little bit of a unique story, but I think every company does in a way. Whenever you're raising or whenever you're dealing with um, financials or investors, it's a unique story because everyone has a different perspective or a different angle to it. Luckily, when we were going through the TNL fundraising process, I was able to find the investor that we did. You know, it's, it's one individual. He, he's, he's a great person, has a, a fervent love for sports. He has a couple of season tickets in a couple of different areas, a couple of different teams. He gives us all of the ability to do as we need to do with the product. Like anything, have it comes with a good and a bad, right? There's a double-edged sword there. I deal with one person, but I also deal with one person, right? So if there's not so much alignment there, it can be a little difficult to get things through. But I think on the vast majority of the time, we're on the, the very same page. And that's great. Having someone that supports the the product and the business is is invaluable. And someone who helps to to do whatever they can to aid in our development is is what you want from an investor, right? Um, I have funding from now through the end of next year. So um, for me, I'm, I'm more than happy to think on a long time frame and, and my investor allows me to do so. So I'm very happy with um, all of that. And hopefully I can bring through some good success through all of this over the next couple of years. I actually want to pull on that thread just for a second here, Rourke, and just hearing you talk about your investor, it's one individual, I guess what we'll just call an angel investor uh, for brevity, we'll call it. But like, I've been having a lot of conversations lately with other founders and, and they're sort of having this internal monologue around, do we raise seed capital from angel investors like you've done? Do we try and find some strategic investors, maybe businesses that can help advance objectives, or do we go and look for institutional capital? And I think there's trade-offs with each. Curious to hear your perspective on that yeah. question from somebody who's gone down the angel investor path. And as you said, I mean, it's double-edged sword. Every option is a double-edged sword. Um, but just from like your perspective, what would you say to other founders that are sort of asking themselves that questions right now about the type of investor and the investor profile at this early stage? I love that question, Jesse. Thank you so much for that. And and I think it's such it's such a nuanced one because when you 
try and think about what is the best way to go about capital. Not only are you dealing with your own biases, are you dealing with all the other biases of everybody else, the investor bias, like you also have to think about what's best for the product, right? Like that I think is one of the things where people think not necessarily get lost in, but they don't consider all of these things in and weight them all accordingly, right? I think for us, when we look at the product and we looked at what we were trying to do, we knew there was a lot more education that was involved. There had to be a little bit more tolerance for what are we doing? How are we going about it? Taking that little bit, again, over a longer term approach. And I think for us, an angel was the right way to go in that sense. He knew what we were trying to do. He understood the vision and he understood the timeframes that we were working on. So that was, you know, I think the, the important thing for us. Um, I think when you're trying to assess any sort of institutional investor, I think one of the most important things just becomes how can they help you and your business move forward, right? You know, having worked in PE, I think I have a pretty unique perspective of what that fund, that institution can provide to you. I worked at a fund where there was a huge expertise in um, loans and how loans are performed. So when you're thinking about as, as a startup, how are you assessing risk or how are you assessing individual profiles? Maybe that's an institution that you would look to maybe try and partner with, or you'd look to be a part of their fund um, or, or portfolio company for them because they have the expertise and the resources that can provide you advanced insights um, in a way that can drive your business forward. I think that those things are really important when trying to assess uh, raising capital. And at the end of the day, who you raise from, sometimes you would rather not raise at all than to raise from the wrong person or raise a little bit less than to raise from the wrong person. So I think that's something that you really do need to spend a lot of time on and weigh, again, all of the aspects and variables accordingly. Even if it's a little bit of 1% chance, you need to consider what that would do. And is there a downside that could mortally wound you, right? I think I've heard this phrase a lot of like staying away from those mortal wounds. I think you're just trying to have paper cuts as much as you can and survive as long as you can to get the product to where it needs to be. So I think avoiding those situations with really bad investors that could, that could really kill a company is probably more important than finding the best investor a lot of the time. No, that, that's great perspective work. I appreciate you uh, sharing that one and, and hopefully it's useful to some of the, the folks that I think will be listening that are uh, yeah asking themselves that question right now. So We'll, we'll leave the fundraising side of it there. Just to sort of get us towards the finish line here today, what's coming up over the next little while for Game Blazers? What can people expect to see coming out of the lab there uh, over the next few months ahead? Yeah, so like I mentioned, we didn't have a native app, um, but we will have a native app over the next couple of months. I'm, I'm really excited for that. We're working through that development process right now. I think that will really change how we go about user acquisition and we go about getting the product out there. I know that there's been a couple of times, especially at GWE, I started talking about Game Blazers and someone went to the app store and then they went to go and put it in and I was like, oh, wait, we don't have an app. It's on web. And they were like, oh, they were kind of upset about that. So for me, that, that hurt me a little bit, but I understand where we are today in this world. Everything is mobile. And I think for us, it was just important to get the product out there this year and, and make people familiar with who we are. Right. Um, and so that will be one of the things we focus on over the next couple of months. So we're really looking forward to that over the next year or so. And then a lot of really good strategic partnerships. Um, we're in conversations with a lot of really good people. We actually just signed a deal with WageWire to work with them. I'm very, very excited to work with the team there. It's, it's going to be a, a great collaboration and, and I can't wait to see how things move forward from that perspective. Um, we'll have a couple of other announcements in terms of partners and strategic relationships over the next couple of weeks. Um, hopefully some pretty notable and big ones. 
And that's really what you can expect from us. And again, always iterating on the product, right? Like I said, we just released these free entry contests that are available in pretty much 42 different states. If you need any more information, feel free to reach out to me, reach out in our Discord. Uh, you can come to the Game Blazers website, gameblazers.com for any information you guys need. We're happy to provide any of that. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next couple of months. I'm, I'm really excited about the things that we have in the pipeline and, and where we're at and gaining some momentum and hopefully the FSGA in February again and all these other things. So we got a lot to come through, obviously the rest of the season, but there's a couple of things I'm looking forward to next year and to, to getting this product out to as many people as I can and building on the success that we've had this past year. That's awesome work. That takes us to my standard closing question. I'm not sure if you've heard it before. I'll quickly wrap it off to you. If you weren't working on Game Blazers, if you weren't previously in PE or finance or in any previous career chapters in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? Yeah, wow. That is a great closing question. I, I think for me, I would probably do something with not necessarily, I don't know if it's psychology or psychiatry more. So it's more of like just helping people. Maybe it's like life coach. I think that's probably the right word. I think for me, not that I know anything or not that I know any better than anyone else, but I think I, I do a pretty good job of being s as self-aware as I can. Um, and I think people at the end of the day are people, right? And a lot of the time it takes one to know one, right? You need to kind of sit there and spend time to talk to people and to try and resonate with them on a deeper level. And I think, you know, we sometimes forget that we're on this giant rock flying through this space of people, you know what I mean? Just it, the in insanity of all of this stuff is crazy. We don't sometimes take enough time to realize that it's just another human being that's on the other side of you. Um, and, and it's you, it's right. It's you yourself. That's on the other side of the screen or, or of, of that person, right? You're just another version of, of the same you, if that makes a lot of sense. So I think we need to kind of spend more time to get to know ourselves, get to know each other. And if I could do something to try and help that and bring people closer together, I, I'd probably do something like that. Maybe even writing. I think writing probably does a, a better way of doing that, of bringing people together. So maybe I'd, I'd choose writing rather than being some life coach. That sounds a little bit too pretentious. <laughs> maybe I'll be some writer. Literature. I mean, maybe, yeah. you, maybe you can combine them, right? Put your thoughts into writing and reach more people that way. Yeah, maybe. That, that, that sounds like a good idea. I think I like that. <laughs> Dr. Rourke, I like it. All right. Yeah, right? <laughs> Not too bad. So I got a nice record. <laughs> Right on, Rourke. Well, look, uh, that takes us to the closing line today. So really appreciate you uh, jumping on and really unpacking everything you and the team are up to at Game Blazers. Really excited to see the story continue to unfold and wishing you guys all the best over the next little while. Thank you so much, Jesse. Great time. I'm, I'm a big fan of the show and everything else like that. Thank you so much for your time. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to everything as well. We'll be sure to stay in touch. Thank you.